0: Coming up, why Gen Z is struggling with conflict in the workplace, and then the Hollywood strikes are actually downstream of what's really going on in culture, and it's affecting you. We'll talk about it next. Helping you win in your work life, so you're winning in the rest of your life. This is the Ken Coleman Show. All right, let's talk. Let's have real talk today, shall we? I am a father to three Gen Zers, and they are not in the workforce full-time yet. I've got two. Actually, you know what? All three have done some work. Josie, our youngest, even at 14, has got a nice little babysitting business that is uh, booming. And my other two, Chase and Ty, have both held down jobs. And, and so they are just, as high school students, they are just on the front end of this thing. But we've got a, a, a good swath of Gen Zers, the oldest Gen Zers, that are already in the workforce. And the data is coming back that they are struggling mightily as it relates to human interaction and the area that is causing the greatest amount of angst and then ensuing problems is conflict. Because at the end of the day, conflict is all about communication. Conflict uh, is everywhere, and it doesn't have to be negative. But let's look at this. Communication, the best way to handle conflict is I am listening and I am speaking, not just speaking. It's a tennis match, right? Now, here's where we stand. Two global accounting firms, Giants, Deloitte and PwC, reported spending a lot of time and money in their organization to give their youngest employees remedial lessons. We're talking basic communication lessons. In-person meetings is what they focused on, and then face-to-face presentations. So this is all about basic communication. All right, so we put that piece of information right there. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now let's look at the data about rising anxiety And then a whole host of other issues that have resulted from an explosion of anxiety in our nation. Between 2005 and 2017, this is the time period, by the way, which the oldest Gen Zers turned 20. So now they're edging into adulthood, right? You've heard the phrase, the term adulting makes me want to spit every time I hear it. We have a a word called learn how to adult. Good gracious. All right. I'm not going to get upset. I promised myself I would not get upset today. So this is the time period, 2005, 2017, where the oldest Gen Zers turned 20. And we saw the rates of anxiety exploded among American young adults by 63%. Now, here's the reality. These Gen Z workers, and by the way, every time I do something like this, they're going to post it online online. And you Gen Zers are going to get mad at me, but I'm not banging on you here. I'm not getting after you. I'm actually trying to help you and defend you. Although you don't need any more defense. That's not the issue. This generation has not been taught how to deal with their feelings. Let me say it one more time. Gen Z and a lot of millennials, and quite frankly, people in my generation, Gen Xers, But over the last five decades, we've seen parents become so concerned about how their kids feel that they don't focus on how their kids do. So here's the deal. Everything is about their feelings. And as a result of so much focus on their feelings, they don't know how to deal with their feelings. And then that means they don't know how to communicate, especially through conflict. What happens? We see these kids go on TikTok and get millions and millions of views. And they think that's affirming. But the latest one is the girl who got mad because she got fired for being late all the time. And she went on TikTok and basically just melted down and said, I'm time blind. I have a condition called time blindness. You don't have a condition. And you aren't time blind. You're distracted. And so am I. I struggle with it. But you're never going to see me say I struggle with time blindness. You're going to hear me say, I apologize. I lost track of time. Thank you for your patience. That's called maturity. But see, we haven't taught kids how to step into the uneasiness of saying, I am wrong. Why? Because we as parents have removed all negative feelings. I don't feel good. In the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, the writer's suggests that a cult of safetyism has captured American parents and teachers. And quite frankly, it's not just an American problem. It's a global problem. So what is safetyism? It teaches three narratives, which are lies. The first is, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Now, if you come from my generation, you come from my ilk. The idea, the phrase is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What that really means is, is, hey, you're alive. You're going to be Okay. In other words, yes, you're in pain. Yes, your feelings suck, but you're going to learn something from this. But now it's been turned into what doesn't kill you makes you weaker, so we got to protect you. And this started with bike helmets, and then elbow pads, and then knee pads. I'm 49, and I want you to know I didn't have a bike helmet, and I didn't have knee pads, and I didn't have elbow pads. You know what I had? Motivation to not wreck. So I rode my bike a little bit more cautious. Now watch. When we remove failure, pain, humiliation, when we remove it, we don't learn anything because we just think, oh, I look like the Michelin man on my bike so I can go "Ah, ah, ah, and run into a wall. Why? Because it doesn't hurt. But when it hurts, guess what I do? I pay attention. I learn. I wreck my bike. I get up and go, what did I do wrong? I don't want to do that again because I like skin on my leg. Come on, folks. The second thing the lie of safetyism says is that feelings are always to be trusted. So I feel this way. Therefore, that's reality. And then the third lie is that life is a simple black and white battle between good people and evil people. By the way, the evil people being people who disagree with you. Because they made me mad. (laughs) Or they hurt my feelings and you are bad. Now, folks, I'm telling you, this is what's going on. So here's what's happened. Negative feelings now mean I'm unsafe. So positive feelings mean I'm safe. And so younger generations now have become more and more fragile. And the hovering adults have jumped in to to protect them from the negative feelings. So the adults have actually fostered this idea that when you feel bad, you're unsafe, so I got to swoop in and make you feel safer. So what happens? It's It's a negative loop. I feel bad about, I got negative feelings, parents or adults in my life come in and make it all better to try to soothe my feelings because they're trying to protect me from getting hurt, and I end up becoming more fragile. And it makes failure, listen to me, parents and adults, listen, leaders, this generation looks at failure as devastating instead of liberating. See, failure's liberating. Every successful person I've ever interviewed, and I've interviewed a lot of them, it's that they've learned, they've grown from failure. In other words, when I learned to ride my bike, guess what? And the training wheels came off and mom and dad didn't have to be around. I was free to ride. Failure's liberating. It's not devastating. That's why this generation is struggling in the workforce. Hey, high school seniors and parents of high school seniors, it's almost graduation time. And if you're not sure about next steps, I want you to listen to this. Coding skills are essential in today's workforce. And my friends at Bethel Tech, can help you start a new career really fast and do it cheap. It only takes nine months to complete a Bethel Tech course in UI, UX design, full-stack development, data science, or cybersecurity. And your young person can get over a 1,000 hours of experience in a collaborative environment and then get placed. The average starting salary for a junior developer is $66,000. And the field is projected to grow by 22% over the next five years. Software development is a career with an enormously bright future. And right now, Bethel Tech is offering you 10% off if you watch or listen to The Ken Coleman Show and you pay cash. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman. BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman right now for details. Terms and conditions do apply. All right, we all love to give, don't we? It just feels really nice when we give. And uh, I always love to give away Dave Ramsey's stuff. I'm part of the Ramsey uh, Solutions Network. And uh, so our Ramsey Cash Giveaway is back. We do this at the uh, every summer. And so you could win one of our $500 weekly prizes or a $3,000 grand prize. And to enter to win, all you got to do is go to RamseySolutions.com slash giveaway. That's RamseySolutions.com slash giveaway. And you can do this on a daily basis. Come back every day and enter. And you get more chances to win. No purchase necessary at all. And you've got to be 18 and older to win. Okay, let's talk about what's happening in Hollywood right now because it is a it is actually downstream of what's going on in our country. Okay, a lot of times we'll watch Hollywood movies and we certainly see things they're very futuristic and they get ahead of us. And, you know, some of the things I saw on the movie screen 10, 15 years ago, it's happening in real life. This is a flip here. And so what's happening in Hollywood in the form of the writers and the actors' strike is actually a microcosm of what's happening macro in this country. And I fear it is going to give more fuel to what I believe is a very dangerous fire. All right? So let me explain. The actors and writers have striked together in Hollywood, for the first time in more than a half century. And it's about what every union strike is about. It's about leverage. It's never just about the pay for the union member. Now, some of you, that's going to hurt your feelings, and I'm sorry. I want to provoke you to think. You don't have to agree with me, but just think on your own. And if you disagree with me, fine. But unions are about politics and power, not Now, the way unions started, if you know the history, and some of you don't, I do, so if you want to argue with me, you at least owe yourself the dignity of researching what I'm saying. But I promise you, I know more about it than most of you. You know why? Because I read. That's why. Now, when unions started in the United States, there was a good cause for it the industrial revolution is happening. And then we get into what is now the birth of modern work. And so there, it was very slanted towards the owners. And so there was a good conversation about, uh, about what is right. Notice now the word, this word is going to come up a little bit later. It's not what is fair because I think fair is the wrong word. Now I really hacked some snowflakes off that are watching this. I'll explain myself in a minute, but again, do you have the maturity to think about what I'm saying? All right, we'll see. So union started out good, very healthy discussion about pay and what is right, not what is fair. Very big difference. Okay? Now, what happened is over time politics got involved. And can I just tell you I don't care what nation, what culture. When politics gets involved, guess what happens? It goes to crap. It's poison. Politics, while necessary in the form of government, politics is poison. And it poisoned the unions. And so now it's about power. It's not about pay. They'll tell you it's about fair pay. Hear me say it's about power. Now, some of you just need to go do your homework on that. So here's where we are. What's happening in Hollywood has already been happening across America. We're seeing young people who don't even hardly know how to spell the word union, much less know what it's about, trying to unionize at Starbucks. Howard Schultz came back in. He's tried to squash it. We see in the data in the polls that more and more Americans have now a positive view of unions. I think it's dangerous, folks. I think it leads to socialism. And if you like socialism, fantastic for you. I am a guy who believes in freedom. You vote however you want to vote, believe how you want to believe, but you might as well go live in Venezuela and then come back to me after 90 days in Venezuela and tell me how that worked out. Equal pay, fair pay, all that. And I get killed, by the way, on Instagram when we post this, but post away. Because because, uh, what you don't understand is, is you get your emotions wrapped up in it. I think you should be paid the max that you can get paid. But I don't think it needs to be decided by political processes. I think it should be decided based on you killing it and crushing it. I am a fan of meritocracy. Look that word up. Meritocracy, meritocracy, meritocracy. I'm a fan of it. Now, if you are a fan of meritocracy, and I am, you must also deal with feelings that are wrapped around the fact that there's always somebody involved at the top who says, you know what, I think this person does a better job than Ken, and so I'm going to pay them more than Ken. And that's not fair. You're right. It's not about fairness. It's about the eye of the beholder and merit and so if i don't like it i can leave and i'm going to go somewhere where they value me and see me but this idea of protesting in the workplace is gotta stop it's nonsensical and if we don't stop it let me just tell you something you will see the seeds of socialism rise and socialism make no mistake about it is built on economics A fairness doctrine, and it leads to total power. It's a lie. It sucks people in. Just look it up. It starts out with fairness, fairness, fairness. So here's what's happening. This is Robert Reich, former U.S. Secretary of Labor for Bill Clinton. Robert and I don't see eye to eye on anything, but this is what he says, quoted in this Hollywood Reporter article is this fair? He's talking about that the CEOs of these large movie uh, production houses are making crazy money. Is this fair? He says, fairness is in the eye of the beholder. Obviously, that's the one time I've ever agreed with Robert Reich. But it doesn't feel it And it does rub a lot of people the wrong way. It seems like the game is rigged against the average working people and in favor of the people at the top. You have a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and ultimately have work stoppages and strikes. The median salary for CEOs at S&P 500 companies is about $15 million. Now, you look at the movie studios, and $15 million is a joke. Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, okay, 1.3 1.3 million. Okay. The median employee compensation at Amazon is 34,000. Now, Apple, Tim Cook's CEO compensation is 99.4 million. Comcast CEO, 32.1 million. Disney, 24.2. This, those numbers are old. That's Bob Chapic's number. Netflix, 51 million. Paramount Global, $32.1 million. Warner Brothers, Discovery. David Zaslav, $39.3 million. Now here's what happens. So people start to look at this and they go, wait a second, the guys at the top are making this. But you do realize these public companies have shareholders and they have this thing called say on pay votes. This was established in 2011 by the SEC to give the stockholder the ability to speak into this stuff. And if you look down the list... Very rarely do you see stockholders vote against the pay. Why? Because if they're getting a nice stock return, they go, I like the guy at the top. Comcast overwhelmingly voted in June for their compensation package, for their CEO. And so here's what's happening. Across the country, more and more, we are seeing a divide where we say it's not fair. It's not fair that the people running these very profitable companies are making so much money. Now, I will tell you, if a CEO of a large company could take a $20 million pay cut, ask executives to do so in times that are tough, I think that's admirable. I think it should be done more. But the reality is is capitalism works and the minute you turn capitalism into faux socialism you're going to see the end of our economy slowly but surely All right, folks, if you're enjoying the Ken Coleman Show and you're watching via YouTube, will you help us by liking the video you're watching, subscribing to our channel, and then sharing with someone that you think that it will encourage or somebody that needs to uh, stew up a little bit? That's what I'm delivering today. I feel like I'm delivering, I'm delivering some stuff that will uh, help you poke other people, and I can be the bad guy. I don't care. I mean, folks, we got to win at work. If you aren't winning at work, I got news for you: you aren't winning in life. It's just work is too much uh, of a focus in your life, too much of an impact on your life. And uh, we're in this matrix, and it's—you uh, can still win and win big in America, but you got to know what you're up against, and you got to know how to think, and you got to know how to act. And I'm here to help you do that. If you're listening via the podcast, give us a follow, a five-star review, and share as well. All right, let's get to the phone for a coaching session. Jennifer joins us in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Jennifer, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hi, Ken. Hi, Jennifer. What's you? up?
1: Um, so I have a degree and a job that I don't want to be in.
0: <laughs> All right. Welcome to America, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, I think we can help. What's going on? Why are you in this job with this degree and neither one of them? What happened? So
1: here's the thing. So before I started listening to you, my goal was just to get a job to right. pay the bills. That's what that you it. were
0: told to do.
1: Yeah, you you get a degree, you yeah. get a job, you pay your bills, you eventually retire, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that
0: sounds like the American dream, doesn't it? Hold on a second while I throw up in my trash can. It's
1: terrible. And get you some Tums. Um...
0: Right. Thank you. I love the Tums. Yeah. So, uh, all right, that's what you were told and that's what you did.
1: So I have a great job, except for I hate it. I've been here for over two years. It's got great money. It has a great company culture. My boss, you couldn't ask for a better boss. Wow. I've got benefits, a pension. I get plenty of time off. Wow. Raises, you know, I, I make 12000 more than when I started, and I've only been there two and a half years.
0: Fantastic. And yet your soul has slowly slipped from your body.
1: Yes. Yes. You were saying that the other day and I was
0: Mm -hmm. like, yes, that's, that's, yes. I wish more people would listen to you that are in the early part of their journey. Jennifer has got a good job, a good boss, a good culture, good pay, good benefits. And yet she's on the phone because why Jennifer? I hate it. It's
1: uh, there's no fulfillment in it whatsoever. Wait a second.
0: Wait a second. You're telling me that you are willing to move on from all these good things because you feel like there's something that would be great. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. All right. What is it?
1: So that's why I'm going because I don't know. It's not a traditional thing. I love organizing, decluttering, and helping people do that. It's like that's a YouTube thing. That's not you can't find that kind of job like in the paper. Not that I don't think they're in the paper anymore, but uh, it's not like I'm like. I don't know how to put that into a job.
0: All right, let's figure that out in a minute. So what is so satisfying about organizing and, and, and decluttering? Because they're the same thing. You're just looking they're at not. it two different ways.
1: They're not. So they're, decluttering is getting rid of excess that you don't need. Right. Once you declutter, then you organize what is left. You can't organize clutter.
0: That's fair. But I, I, when I said they're the same thing, my point is is they're both driven by one clear comma denominator, and that's efficiency. Yes. Okay, that's what I mean. So okay. I'm glad you corrected me, but you were on the same page, right? Yes. So what I want you to see is you are a person who is motivated. This is called intrinsic motivation. Nobody yes. has to get you fired up about it. If you can jump in and help someone... Get their life organized and efficient by removing clutter. And and now I to, I'm starting to push your brain a little bit. I want to remove clutter. Well, there's a lot of areas of our life where there is clutter, true or false? True. This is more than the junk drawer, isn't it? Yeah. Aha. huh So, I want you to start to think, wait a second. It's not about the person's junk drawer. It's not about the person's closet. It's not about their house in general. It's not about their garage. It's not what it's about. But that's what you think right now. At least you did until you called me because you're going, how do I turn that into a job that pays me what I want to need to make. I don't want to start a YouTube channel and be the next declutter queen. And that's where your brain has been, and I understand that. But it's not about any of those things, is it, Jennifer? No. What is it about? Your words.
1: It's about helping people declutter their lives.
0: Yeah, but it's deeper. It's about freeing people to be effective. See, all that junk creates in just a a number of negative outcomes, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I think you have to start looking a little bit bigger and going, now, wait a second. Where are the greatest areas of clutter? And I actually want to put another word if we can. We have a few minutes left, and I want to try to put another word on this because I think it's going to help you ideate. What's another word for clutter? that gets us away from the 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 usage of it that we use most of the time with just junk laying around everywhere, clothes and pencils and whatever. What's what's the real, what's deeper, what's three levels deeper than clutter? What is it really? What does clutter do?
1: Hold you back. I'm not, I can't think of the right word.
0: I don't care. Just Just try. Take me on a journey. I think I know what you're going to say, but I want you to say it. What does clutter do to a person's life? What does it cause? Stress. Yeah.
1: Unhappiness.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Distraction?
1: Distraction,
0: mm-hmm. yes. See where I'm going now? You tracking with? I'm trying with?
1: To Huh? Okay, I'm trying to follow.
0: Well, what I'm doing is, is I'm removing you from... Just I'm going to go organize a person's closet. I want you to start to go, wait a second, what are other areas of people's life? So let's look at this. Let's have some fun. Let's look at the areas of people's life. Relational. Financial. Professional. Physical. Starting to see where I'm going. And what are the things in their life that are essentially a form of clutter? I'm going to leave it there because you've got to spend some time with this. But this is where the ideation comes from when you start to go, I don't know how to make enough money doing this. That's too in the weeds, and it can get really scary and intimidating. True? Yes. All right, so we got to back up a little bit and go, wait a second. It's less about the clutter, and it's more about the result. You are a person, if you're waking up every day and your work Let's say that 75% of your work is delivering efficiency and organization. You're a happy camper, true or false? 100%, yes. How much of your current job that is so freaking good, but you hate it, is dedicated during the day to organization and efficiency? Zero. Tell her what she's won, Bob. Now, <laughs> see, I know you were like, where's Ken going with this? What is he doing? He's taking me all over the place, but you see where I'm going now? Yes. I don't think you have to necessarily organize anybody's closet, junk drawer, or anything else. I think you got to get in a job where your 75% or more of your day is driving efficiency through organization. You are a process person. Processes and efficiencies and excellencies when things are ordered where they're supposed to be so that we can function at our best. That's what gives you the juice. True or false? True. Well, then there's all kinds of jobs like that. I'm not going to hang this on you. So don't get off this call and go, Ken said I'm supposed to be, but I'll give you an example. You could be an office manager. You could be a project manager in big corporate world. You could be an executive assistant. It's all about the results of the work. Jennifer, when you get that, it's going to set you free. Hang on the line. I want to give you my Get Clear assessment which is going to give you more clarity. I'm going to give you my book From Paycheck to Purpose, which will lead you there. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.